Hello, everybody. Welcome to Hold the Line. My name's Joe, and I'm a British force-free gun dog trainer. You can check out my online courses at forcefreegundog.com. The newest course is called Training the T Drill. You can also pick up a copy of my book called Force Free Gun Dog Training: The Fundamentals for Success, which is available on Amazon's everywhere around the world. There's also an accompanying workbook to record your training sessions in. I'm currently working on a sequel to Force Free Gun Dog Training. And I hope it's going to be out maybe in about six months. We'll see. That's all for now. Let's get on with the show. Train your gun dog without force or fear. Motivate and educate. Hold the line is here. Invention, repetition, generalization, motivation. Hold the line. Oh, yeah. Hello, I am Joe Laurent, and welcome to Hold the Line, the podcast for force free gun dog training. Hold the Line is committed to helping you train your dog to an advanced level using motivational methods and without the use of fear or pain. Thank you for tuning in and please make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Hold the Line! Happy New Year everybody. It might be a bit too late to be wishing you Happy New Year actually but Happy New Year. So for this episode I have an interview for you all but I just wanted to sort of set the scene a little bit before we get into the interview to talk a bit about how it's relevant to force free gundal training because that may not at first be obvious so the part of force free gundal training that i believe this is relevant to is work around game so when you first start to take a young dog into the vicinity of game and you start to see the dog's arousal levels go up and you may start to see the dog find it harder to respond to cues which previously they were able to respond to Um, Some dogs may completely lose their minds and be unable to do anything at all. Um, You might end up with dogs sort of lunging around on the end of the lead, just trying to get to whatever it is. Um, Some dogs may even bark. So, yeah, basically this sort of type of behavior, a lot of panting, a lot of over arousal, um, restlessness, um, that kind of thing. If you hear some whining in the background by the way it's my puppy in her crate um anyway so that's the sort of um area of force free gondola training which i think this is going to be relevant to now one of the things that i do is i work with dog reactivity so i am a cbati which stands for a certified bat instructor and bat stands for behavior adjustment training which i know doesn't really help you understand much more about it but that's what it stands for it is a method of working with dogs which are reactive and it was developed by grisha stewart um, a trainer based in the us so i think that's kind of what there is to say in terms of setting the scene and it occurred to me, I think, when I did my bat training that a lot of the um, behaviours which bat is designed to help dogs with are also relevant for over-aroused gun dogs. So if you think about it, there's a big similarity, or not similarity, but there are points of um, connection between dogs which are um, barking at other dogs and lunging at other dogs and unable to respond to their owners because they are just desperately trying to get to another dog or person and dogs which are um, kind of out of their minds in the presence of game so I realize at this point that there's a lot which we can learn from the field of working with reactive dogs in a force-free way which we can import and use as force-free gun dog trainers so that's where this kind of idea came from these thoughts came from now of course bat not having anything to do with gun dog training in itself is not going to teach your dog to point or to sit to flush or to be steady or anything else which a gun dog needs to be able to do but where i believe that it is useful is in helping your dog get into their thinking brain as it were so in moving from a place where the dog is Um, I'm going to use the term over aroused. I know that some people don't like that term, but I think that we all understand what it means. 
I think my puppy wants to come out of her crate. But yes, we understand what that means, over-arouse. And so I think that that can help us get from a place where a dog is kind of not in their thinking brain. Um, it can help us get the dog back into the thinking brain and back into a place where we can cue them to be- to perform these behaviours that we need. Um, so hopefully that sets the scene a bit. And I think that we're going to repeat some of that in the interview. But I just want to kind of draw that out a little bit before we get started. So the interview that I have for you today is with Ellen Nauman. Ellen served as the BAT program director for Grisha's BAT courses, um, and she has done that since 2012. She recently founded the official BAT school in 2017. And in this role, she works closely with Grisha on the instructor certification courses and essentially helps train up new CBATIs. And so... The official BAT school, or OBATS for short, has various courses around the world which you can take. I think there are five days long and there are instructor courses uh, for helping you become certified as a BAT instructor. So Ellen helps um, or is behind organizing these courses. She began her career in dog training by volunteering at a Los Angeles County animal shelter. And she soon after that began working with dogs professionally. She became a CBATI at the very first course, which Grisha ran in 2011. And she has one dog called Skittles, who is often useful when she is running bat setups as the sort of decoy dog that she uses. So here is Ellen, and I should point out that we got cut off a few times in this conversation for some unknown internet-related reason. So um, if it sounds a bit disjointed occasionally, that's probably down to the editing, but I think that the gist still comes across just fine. Cool. All right. So, Ellen, it's brilliant to talk to you. Thank you so much for giving up your time to come and have a chat about BAT. So I think the first thing that we probably need to talk a little bit about. I want to know how you discovered BAT, but I also want you to, first of all, just tell us a little bit about what BAT is, because I'm sure there'll be some people listening who've no idea um, what it stands for, where it's come from, who it's, or what what sort of dogs it's for. Um, So maybe you can sort of fill us in with the background, first of all. Um, Sure. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Well, Joe, thank you for having me. It's um, it's great to be a guest on your show, and uh, I'm really honored to you know have the platform to share the time with you and to share more about BAT. So BAT is an acronym for Behavior Adjustment Training, Behavior Adjustment Training, and it was developed by Grisha Stewart. And how I discovered BAT um, was I attended the very first uh, course that she offered on it uh, where trainers could earn certification. And honestly, I I hadn't really heard of it uh, prior to that, uh, a good friend of mine, Kristen Burke, she was like, Hey, you know, do you know about this? And this sounds really interesting. And I think we should check it out. So I started to, uh, you know, pay attention to it and signed up for the course, um, and kind of just had my mind blown by it. Um, and what bat is, is bat is a way to work with our dogs. That's very, organic. And I know that that word organic gets way overused and and misinterpreted or or, or interpreted in a variety of ways for a variety of people. So what I mean by that is that it's really um, understanding canine body language on a level that is more than um, perhaps what we see. Um, as far as like, oh, is the dog, um, you know, using those labels, is the dog happy or sad or frustrated or angry? Or um, is the dog sitting? Is the dog lying down? Is the dog in a stay? You know, we know all of those very obvious um, behaviors that we request um, and that the dog performs. But when we really start to understand all of the other behaviors that the dog is doing um, and offers up, And when we can uh, support those behaviors in a way that hasn't been supported before, it just completely opens up the communication channel in a way that's that's much different than what I was uh, used to or what I thought was supposed to be the way to do it. I had never been... um, formally trained as a, to use a clicker that was not a part of my repertoire yet. I was actually kind of early in my learning curve um, of working with dogs, um, which is why uh, I think that makes a lot of sense for a lot of trainers out there who 
may not be super skilled, you know, in other methods, um, because it's, it just, uh, it, it puts an emphasis on, um, more of a, a cohesive, you know, um, a relationship. I shouldn't say cohesive because, you know, you can certainly have a cohesive relationship in other ways, but, um, it's less about the human dictating to the dog what we think is best. Um, and it's more about understanding what the dog is telling us that is best for them. And it's fascinating when you really start to look at it in, in those ways. And so did you discover that originally because you had a dog yourself that you wanted to work with using that in terms of reactivity or was this to help clients with their dogs? It was purely for my own education. Um, at the time, um, I didn't have a dog that was, you know, in great need of assistance to overcome reactivity. Um, I had clients that had uh, dogs that were reactive on leash, and um, I was curious how to overcome that and to understand it. But it, it was really just a curiosity of like, what is this? And, and uh, you know, to learn more about it. This was also when BAT was in its early stages of, of BAT uh, 1.0 is how we refer to it now. Um, so I didn't, I no, I did not go to it with the purpose of, I need to resolve, you know, um, you know, a, a problem with my own dog or a particular client. I was just super curious to learn more. Um, and I think for many of us out there, if we can always kind of retain that uh, desire to learn more, and so many of us do, it really is a great service then back to our animals, uh, regardless of species, right? So right. It, was, it was driven by that, by a curiosity. Um, right. Yeah. I think I had a bit of a revelation because I sort of came from different directions. So I was doing, you know, gun dog training and gun dog work with my own dogs. And that was kind of the sort of niche that I was interested in mm -hmm. um, pursuing with my own dogs. And then I was also working um, as a as a dog trainer and behaviorist with clients dogs and obviously encountering reactivity and those kind of issues with their dogs and then I think when I discovered that I then realized how much some of the behaviors that we're seeing in dogs with reactivity issues bear a huge resemblance to gun dogs that mm. we see with over arousal around game um, mm. and the sort of the way that the dog's kind of out of their thinking mind when they are in the presence of game and they can't respond to cues that they're, you know, hyper, manic, over-aroused, um, unable to concentrate or work. Um, and, I, and I saw a big similarity there. And then that's when I started to think that there is lots in the field of reactivity and, and force-free work with reactive dogs, which we can take potentially mm. and use in force-free gun dog training. Um, and so I'm sort of interested in mining what, what there is available in that sort of field and, and importing it into the whole sort of force free gun dog way, way of approaching things. Mm, does yeah. That, does that make sense? Oh, totally. Um, I mean, when I learned about what you were doing, Joe, and, and listen, for those who are listening, Joe is an incredible sea baddie and sea baddie is our, our uh, name for a certified behavior adjustment training instructor. Joe's really good. And how Joe and I even know each other um, is Joe was on our evaluation team. So she um, participated in uh, making sure those who were receiving certification uh, really did understand that. Um, and so, uh, you know, the fact that you um, see how that can lend itself to your, your own personal passion of the gun dog training, I think it's you're an innovator and it, and, uh, it's just, it's cool. It's super cool. Well, I but just it, feel like there's not, the knowledge is there and it exists. We just yeah. need to kind of expose more people who are interested in force free gundle training to this world of reactivity so that they can mine it for what there is to be gained from it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, look at, look at how, um, you know, whether it's the, the big umbrella of positive reinforcement, you know, has now, um, gone into the zoos, right? Mm. Uh, or veterinarian care, the husbandry. I mean, it, it is crossing all fields with all species um, because of our awareness. So 
Um, I mean, context always matters, right? Behavior is always responding to the environment. So um, we always have different environments. But when we do start to comprehend, you know, how animals are uh, just like us and, and responding and learning uh, and apply that to whatever uh, field we are in with whatever species we are working with, then, then the world will be a better place human to human yeah. <laughs> too, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so, so maybe we to help people make this connection. I mean, maybe um, we can sort of describe the sorts of behaviors that we might see in yeah. a reactive dog, which is going over threshold, like what that dog might look like um, or sound like. Um, so do you want to? Sure. Sure. That? Yeah, go on then. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if I even really answered the question like, well, you know, what, what is bat? What does bat look like? Um, So uh, I'll do that. So bat is all about um, movement, not so much about steps, but about movement. And there is a big difference when you really kind of just sit with that, you know? Um, And it is about really becoming an expert in canine body language so that you can see those very, very subtle but really powerful movements that the dog may make prior to going over threshold. And over threshold to many of us in the dog world means, you know, barking and lunging and you know, growling, uh, heavy panting, pacing, mm-hmm. you know, all those really big behaviors that, that are quite obvious. Um, so, but when we dial it back, and we can see that the dog has maybe slowed down their gait just a tiny bit or has started to to move their shoulders ever so slightly to you know the right which might have been you know to gain a little bit of distance from whatever was to their left when we start to see that it's like going from black and white to color and when we can in tandem support those movements early on, then we keep our dogs truly under threshold. Um, so, so bat, bat looks like this. Uh, we are still attached to the dog because we still have a leash. Um, and so we, you know, to my clients who are concerned about, um, you know, giving up control, you know, that the dog is in charge. I'm like, well, as long as you're still holding on to that lead, you know, you're still connected to your dog. So we have like a physical connection with that, but then we also have uh, a connection in ju- in that movement, in the spatial property in which we are working. So the dog mm. is still attached by a long line. A uh, long line for us is something that's certainly greater than than um, uh, what's meter six feet is is what is, what is that in meters? Eight meters? I think it's five five meters is what the long five line, meters. Okay, long lines are here. Yeah. Thank you. One of these days, I'm going to learn my metric system. You know, they tried to teach it to us here in the U.S. uh, back in the (laughs) 70s, I think. (laughs) I grew up in a small town in the Midwest, and uh, that just was not a priority for my school. So we didn't really, I never did grasp it. So my apologies to those of you who are listening. I know it makes me sound like a, you know, anyway, uh, that's a deficit of mine. So anyway, a long line, because that long line allows the freedom of movement. Um, and that we really put a big emphasis on taking a look at the environment in which the behavior is taking place. And, and all of us as trainers should always be looking at that, right? Um, yeah. you know, what, what is preceding behavior? Because in many ways, that is the easiest place to start, right? Um, you know, I have this little saying that I, that I tell all of my clients and I have a visual where my, I raise my right hand and I say, you know, we have management in one hand and training in the other and management, you know, would be a harness and a leash, uh, maybe an enclosed space, uh, maybe, you know, uh, a crate, maybe um, in the back of the house behind a baby gate versus at the front of the house at the picture window. Um, so we take a look at how can we incorporate management and management isn't a bad word. Um, we are, you know, we, there's always management on some level. Then we have training and training is when we are, you know, teaching our dogs, when we are educating them on, um, behavior that we, you know, need 
or behavior that's going to suit, you know, uh, more desirable behavior that will lower their stress level, lower the family stress level, train them to sit, train them to spin, train them to, to go after, you know, to, to do your line of work, right. To retrieve, um, and come back, uh, and hunt. So we have all that training and we, we always want to take a look at, at both. And when we try to do one without the other, we handicap ourselves. So, um, I might be getting off topic here, but, um, so back to bat and what does bat look like on the management side of things? Our dogs are in a harness, a bat clip harness, um, and that long line, uh, and what environment are we putting them in so that we can introduce them into that environment sub threshold, um, sub threshold to us means the dog's body language is soft. Soft means, uh, you know, the, there is uh, the muscles are are not are soft. Um, the body has a curve to it. The pace is um, normal for that dog. Uh, they are engaged with the environment. They are sniffing. They are looking. They are air scenting. Uh, they are moving about, and they are comfortable. And um, and then recognizing that there's a ton of naturally occurring reinforcers out there. A ton, um, whether and and I don't just mean nature by naturally occurring reinforcers. I mean that the dog is finding so much that's reinforcing to them that we are not delivering to them directly, you know. And it's not necessarily contingent upon a particular behavior that we, you know, have asked of them. It could be the feel of the of the grass on their pads, you know, or a stick in their mouth, or um, the the direction of the wind and the scent that's coming down there. And just when we start to really understand that, you know, reinforcement can come from all sorts of uh, other, you know, um, places and movement, and not just dictated by us, it can become super fascinating to watch. And we allow for that. We allow for more of that, more of the dog being a dog and experiencing what that dog finds reinforcing. And sometimes that does include turning away or arcing away or just stopping. Stopping is a huge behavior. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, so just to simplify it and sort of summarize what I think you're saying. So, so bat is sort of the dog being in the, in the same environment as the trigger and yet remaining under threshold and able to display normal quote unquote dog behavior. Yeah. And, and right? us, and yeah. us supporting that, us supporting that. So I encourage anybody who's listening to this, um, when you are out on lead with your dog, outside of, of the sport that Joe, you are a professional in. And so outside of that guys, if you're just out walking your dog, I want you to really start to look at when your dog slows its pace or when your dog might actually stop and see if you stop when your dog stops or if you charge ahead. And by charge ahead, I don't mean, you know, that you are uh, going hundred miles an hour and you're all, you know, suddenly in front of your dog, although that happens all the time, <laughs> right? Mm. Especially if we're on our phones, um, guilty as charged. Uh, but, but it might just be that you have taken one step forward when your dog has actually paused and just pay attention to that and start to see how powerful it can be when you are literally in sync with your dog. And if your dog has slowed her pace, you have slowed your pace. If your dog has stopped, you've stopped. Um, and that helps when we say, you know, normal behavior, the dogs do all sorts of behaviors before they do the big behaviors that really get our attention. And when we start to see those and can, and can support those, then we, we just start from a much healthier place for the dog. Right. So I think you're saying that through this awareness of the dog's body language, we'll notice smaller and more subtle Mm -hmm. um, cues which the dog is giving off and we'll then be able to respond to those cues and help the dog um, make the right choice rather than getting into deeper and deeper water yeah and going closer and closer to the trigger um, and then there being big body language which obviously we would all notice yeah so, 
So from being more aware of body language, we can help the dog manage their distance from the trigger so that they stay under threshold. And then through association, through habituation, they come to associate being in the presence of the trigger with being calm and being relaxed. And naturally over time, we'll be able to get closer to the trigger and remain calm and relaxed. Is that Yes. Yeah. yeah. So on the, you know, if we, if we throw in, you know, on the science side of things, it's really, uh, I mean, it's all science, but I mean, the terminology, the terminology, it's really, really, really good desensitization, perhaps systematic desensitization that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, leads to, well, it starts with a really uh, well thought out, you know, um, antecedent arrangement the setting events. And then it's really good desensitization that over time there should be um, generalization that takes place. And for many of our guardians, our handlers, our owners, um, they, when they come to us, when they come to us, they say, I just want my, I just want to be able to walk my dog and not have my dog, you know, go bananas (laughs) and lose its mind. Um, I just want to be able to walk past other dogs. I don't care if we say hello. I just want to be able to enjoy the walk with my dog. And oftentimes the the dog wants the same thing, but we put them in these scenarios that kind of force them to do that. Or sometimes we've put them in scenarios over and over again that they start to think, well, this is how I'm supposed to behave. Um, And, you know, that's a whole nother can of worms to go down. So if someone had, if someone had a dog, which loved other dogs a bit too much let's say so mm-hmm. they are on the lead they would bark and bark and bark and really look quite ferocious but at times mm-hmm. when somehow they've been able to get away from their handler and they've reached another dog they just ex- want to play exuberantly then we probably would say that dog was a frustrated greeter in that the the cause of that energy that they have on the lead and that barking and that noise is that they desperately want to get to the other dog and the reason why i'm just trying to mm-hmm. go into this sure. is because i think it's relevant for the whole gun dog side of things because i can hear lots of people thinking well yeah my dogs are really over threshold when they're in the presence of game um for example i don't know I went into a rabbit pen with my spaniel and they were throwing themselves around on the end of the lead and they couldn't concentrate and they were just you know trying to reach everything they could reach and lunging around everywhere but they're not afraid of the rabbits or the chickens or um, pheasants or I don't know, whatever's in this particular pen um so so how is bat is bat still relevant for the dogs that are not afraid and is bat still relevant to the dogs that are have other reasons for their over arousal okay folks it's time for a whistle pause a whistle pause is when there would usually be an advert from a sponsor but i don't have a sponsor so instead i'm going to play you a tune on my trusty acme 212 Now the tune there is slightly hampered by the fact that the 212 is just one pitch, but I hope you can appreciate the rhythm. Now the reason that we've got this beautiful whistle pause instead of an advert is because I don't get any funding for this podcast or sponsorship. I record it, edit it, upload it myself and I pay for the server. I don't want to get a sponsor because then I have to promote whatever business is sponsoring me. And apart from the fact that I think that most dog products are bollocks, I would lose some of the independence and freedom that I have at the moment to say whatever I want to say about whatever I want to say it about. But if you want to support me, and if you like this podcast, then there are some ways that you can support me, which will also benefit you, I hope. So you can check out the online courses I make, which you can find at forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon wherever you live in the world. So I really hope you can support me and check out some of this material. Anyway, that is the end of today's Whistle Pause. Let's get back to the show. Um, I would say that bat is relevant for any dog at any time, um, to a point, to a point. Um, and what I mean by that is that, um, it's always about becoming, um, an expert at reading your dog's body language and an expert in reading the environment. 
And how are you setting your dog up for success within that environment? And if you know that your dog is um, going to be so overly aroused to get to bunnies and chickens, etc., then how can you best set your dog up for success so that they can learn that that behavior is not desirable behavior within that particular moment? And it, this is a dialogue certainly for you and I to have um, because I don't I don't know the gun dog world as much as I would like to. I know over arousal dog to dog, but I think that might be a little bit different than dog to to prey. And so let me ask you: if a dog goes into a rabbit pen, is that prey? What it tell me what that is for you in your world? Yeah, probably would be. It would be the dog wanting to chase and. Uh, grab that bunny or chicken or whatever it is um i mean i think the thing is that if a dog is not able to listen to the handler and to respond to simple cues which they can usually respond to then mm-hmm. the first step has to be getting the dog back into their thinking operating yeah. brain where they're able to to do that um and in order to get them back into that place and that's where i think that comes in um and other tools um mark and move and which is part yes, of that. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, and then once you've got the dog in a p- place where they're able to be relaxed, display appropriate body language in a sort of relaxed way, sniff around, um, be a dog, basically, then you can start to cue behaviors like your sit to flush or whatever it is that you would want. But, but you can't cue those behaviors until you've got the dog into a place where they're able to listen to the cues. And in order to re- help them relax to that, point that's where i think we we have bath where back comes in um yes i would yeah, agree I, mean. I would yeah yeah i would totally agree because it again it goes back to being keenly aware of the environment you know what what am i asking my dog to re- respond to in this environment and it, am i doing my dog any favors you know or am i am i setting them up for success or am i setting them up to fail um and, you know, am I testing the dog? You know, I, I hear that a lot. Um, okay. I mean, I wondered if we can help people visualize things a bit better. So let's say someone's got a young gun dog, Spaniel, let's just say, mm-hmm. um, and they, their dog around game becomes out of control. So it, it's straining on the end of the lead, trying to get to the game, um, will not listen to cues from the handler, whether they're recall cues, whether they're sick cues, whatever they are, the dog won't respond. Um, and the handler wants to know what can they do to help that dog get into a frame of mind where they can pay attention to the cues, which they've been trained to do in other circumstances. So how can we help someone set something up, set up some bat setups Mm -hmm. um, with that in mind? What would you say? I would say um, it's, start with the environment. It is a foundational, it's a foundation behavior for us as humans who have dogs in our lives to take a look at the environment in which we are asking our dogs to behave and start there. And are you starting too close? Do you need to back it up? Um, How can you uh, set your dog up for success so that they can see that that uh, stimulus and that trigger that uh, animal and and remain in a a state where they can continue to focus on you if that is the behavior that you need them to do if you need them to focus on you if you need them to perform uh, behaviors that are the antithesis to what they really want to do then um, then you've got to start with the environment and you've got to become really, really keen on what your dog is telling you from the get-go. We, um, we owe it to them, especially if we're going to ask them to do something that is completely opposite of what they want to do. And so, you know, like from a practical standpoint, Joe, it's, it's, um, if your dog goes, um, bananas, um, spinning and barking and high-pitched whining and all of that at a 
particular distance in a particular environment, change the environment and start there. Right. So basically it's about manipulating the distance that you are from the trigger, which in our case is the game. Um, so you could pen the game, you could have the game in a pen and you could work at a distance from the pen and you could gradually come closer and closer outside of it um, as your dog's able to manage. So, yeah, in fact, I'm thinking now there's actually a video, I think, where Grisha is working outside the pen with some chickens in it, but I'm not sure if I've made that up or imagined it. I think she, I think she is. Um, I think it might be sheep. The sheep. I oh. think it might, it might be sheep, yeah. And I think in that case, she was using what we call mark and move. And so mark and move is um, a part of that where we do become much more um, controlling, if you will, uh, managing um, and, and being in charge more of, of uh, the reinforcers. So um, we, are, we are reinforcing particular behavior and we are delivering that reinforcement in tandem with the naturally occurring reinforcer of um, the, whatever's in the environment. That might be movement, that might be the ground, that might be a stick, that might be food on the ground. Um, but we are, um, we are reinforcing the dog while the dog is sub-threshold, those behaviors that we need the dog to do. And, um, and always starting by taking a look at the environment and where can our dog see that trigger and remain calm? Right. And what, what does calm look like? Um, and if the dog chooses to go closer, which they probably will want to do, how can you s- slow them down? How can you stop them from going over the edge, from going over the cliff? And with bat, how we slow our dogs down and how we stop them is it's with like a tap on the shoulder, you know, like, excuse me, hello, like we might do with somebody versus like, hey, buddy, and grabbing the back of their jacket. Um, so you're going to transition from the, hey, buddy, you know, grabbing the back of the jacket, grabbing the leash and pulling back on the leash. You're going to transition from that to more of a, hey, let's, you know, hang on just a second. And you can do that with the lead um, by, you know, through our leash skills, by what we call a slow stop, which is gradually applying pressure on the lead. And I guarantee you, I promise you that your dog will feel that. You don't, your elbow doesn't have to go from your waist to behind your back. You don't have to pull. You can keep your elbow next to your body and apply pressure gently and slowly and the dog will feel that. Mm. And if you've done that early on, your dog will probably stop, especially if you've done some of the other work ahead of time, meaning you have started to communicate with your dog like, hey, I see you. I see you when you slow down. I I see you when you arc. I see you when you pause. I see you now when you stop. And I'm going to stop with you. I'm going to slow down with you. I'm going to arc with you. And so when you start to have that dialogue with your dog, then when you get into these more challenging situations and they feel the pressure on the lead and you've done that pressure early on, then you, you'll be successful. Hmm. I yeah. guess we should also just say, because pressure has other meanings for um, American retriever folk, mm. um, but you don't mean any, any force or punishment or you, you just kind of mean li- literal, like holding the lead a bit, a bit tighter to stop the dog from being able to continue to go towards the trigger. Cause I guess bat leash skills are yeah. a big part of bat and um, oh, it's huge. Yeah. So it's, it's almost like a way of well, staying you know, out of the way of the dog when you don't need to be in the way of the dog. And then when the dog needs a little bit of help to know when to step in and how much to help. I'm going to interrupt this fabulous discussion to bring you today's whistle pause. The whistle pause is where an ad break would usually be, but I don't have an ad break. I just have me and my whistle, my trusty T12, on which I'm going to play you a tune. The sad thing about my whistle at the moment is that it's dying a little bit, so bits of plastic have broken off. So it will only blow if I blow it really loudly, then a note will come out. Otherwise, it's this kind of 
whispery, hoarse, airy, breathy noise. So I've got another whistle on order, and I'd like to reassure you that the, the whistle pause will improve in quality in future episodes. Now, the reason we don't have an ad break here and you have this whistle pause instead is because I don't have a sponsor. I don't want a sponsor because I want to be completely free to recommend the products I want to recommend. And I don't want to have to recommend a product that I don't believe in or love in order to get sponsorship. So there are some ways you can support me, though, because otherwise it is just me making this podcast. So if you like this podcast, there are some simple things and free things that you can do. One is to share it and to tell other people about it and to post it on social media and to promote it whenever you can. The other thing you can do will benefit you as well, I hope. You can check out some of my courses, my online platform, forcefreegundog.com. And you can also check out my book, Force Free Gundog Training, and the accompanying workbook for it, which is a planner called The Workbook. You can get both of these from Amazon, wherever you live. That is the end of today's whistle pause. Let's get back to the show. Yes, Joe. Yes. Yes. See, people, this is why Joe is an expert sea daddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know what? Us in here in America, and I think, you know, many parts of the world, we're so car driven, right? Mm. Um, we, we are always in our cars. So I'll use some car analogies. Um, you know, when you're, when it's time to teach your, your kid or a friend how to drive, you don't wait for them to, you know, veer into oncoming traffic to say, you know, uh, keep your hands on the steering wheel and stay in your lane. Like, but we often do that with our dogs. We wait for them to do a behavior that we don't want or isn't good for them. And then we correct it. So I have a little saying that, you know, if, if you are correcting behavior, you've missed the opportunity to reinforce the behavior that you do want or support the behavior that you do want. So going back again to the car analogy um, with our dogs, don't wait, don't wait for that behavior stop them ahead of time. And if it's, you know, going to a traffic light, we tend to put pressure on the brakes to slow ourselves down before we get to the red light. You know, we don't slam on the brakes typically. And the same is applied on our leashes. We slow the dog down by adding, slowly squeezing the leash. That might be a, a better descriptor here in our, in our audio um, we squeeze the leash and the dog will feel that. They absolutely will feel it. And they, if we've done that, they will slow down. So we're not, you know, crashing into this intersection, so to speak. Um, yes, Joe, as you are so aware, leash skills are paramount. Um, we don't, I don't think we recognize um, what a powerful, literally line and figuratively line of communication it is. Mm, but it's connected to what you said before about the body language, because you're reading the body language to know which of the leash skills to use when. Mm, yes, 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 yes. And so if we see our dog start to gravitate towards something that we don't want him or her to go towards, slow him down, you know, tap up and Tap, tap them on the shoulder and, and do it early so you're not having to grab them um, and prevent them from going any further. And the dogs will respond. Um, and then observe, then you as a human observe and respond. So your dog has stopped. What did they do? Did they put their nose to the ground? Did they turn their head? Did their ears go up? Did they lean forward? Did you get too close? Do you need to, to help them go further back so they continue to be in that mindset to see the rabbit and still hang out with you and pay attention to you? Um, and, um, and so, yeah, the leash skills are paramount, hmm. paramount. Now, Ellen, I wanted to ask you a bit about OBATs. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wanted you to talk a bit about that because that's your kind of um, kind of new undertaking isn't it you've you've taken over the sort of training um parts of bat um do you want to say a little bit more about obat and what it is how it works oh yeah hey thank you yeah. thank you so much for the opportunity to do it um yes all of our our, our crazy acronyms um but it's it's not so much that i've taken over training 
But Grisha has given me the opportunity to um, sort of to, to bring Bat um, to the masses even more than she's already done, um, specifically uh, focusing on our training pro- professionals out there and uh, certifying them in bat, teaching them bat so they know it well, they do it well, they teach it well. Um, and it's a true representation of, of what bat is. And so many people out there think like, oh, I do bat, I know bat. Um, and every single person that has um, that I have worked with, whether they've attended a, a certification course um, or maybe perhaps I've worked with them one-on-one, um, they come to the table and they think they know bat and they're like, I'm teaching my clients bat and they are not. And I don't mean that as a, um, a judgment or anything like that, but it's, it is um, it's becoming certified in bat. You gain um, such an understanding of really what Grisha's intention was all along. Um, and that is to, uh, to, to understand our dogs and to support those great behaviors um, and to be really good partners with them when we have chosen to be partners with them. You know, if we're going out on a walk, you know, we are a partner with them on that walk. Um, when we are exposing them to things um, that we have realized that they might um, react to, whether that's to go towards, you know, because it's like exuberance um, or because they need to keep that thing away. Um, hmm. When we're on lead, we're a partnership. And um, so, and, and teaching our clients. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, so maybe we should just help people out with, so BAT is behavior adjustment training and OBAT, so my way, it's the official behavior adjustment training school. Is, is that right? Yes. Yes thank, yes. thank you for spelling out the acronym. Okay. I appreciate it. And, and I, I chose official BAT school um, for a couple of reasons. Our Facebook page, the official BAT Facebook group um, is, has a, a just a tremendous, um, wonderful thousands of members and it is the place where if you want some bat advice if you want to share your bat um, experiences if you want to learn more about bat on facebook just in a public forum with other um, lay people if you will although you know we obviously have trainers in there as well that's that's the place to go and so if you want to get certified as a bat instructor, if you want to be able to teach bat to your clients, or if you want to just really have a much greater understanding of behavior adjustment training for your own dog, OBATS, Official Bat School, this is the place to come. Um, it's If you really want to know it, this this is where you go. Yeah, I have, I have and, to say um, the practical course that I did with, with Grisha, um, I don't even know when it was now no idea actually maybe 2013 or something like that um it was I think it was probably 2013 yeah, yeah it was it was great because I think that was that was when I had the sort of light bulb moment of that how relevant all of this is to working around game and mm. how useful you know you kind of partition all these things off in dog training and then over time you come to realize actually there's just good training and as you develop more skills as a trainer you realize the various different ways that you can utilize these skills that you've got and how sort of cross useful they are if that's a word i think it is a word but yeah yeah i think it yeah. is a word um so anyway yeah i, we'll I make definitely <laughs> i definitely recommend obats um oh, and you've got you. some courses haven't you coming up you've got courses both in north america and in the uk this year is that right it, our yeah our courses in the united states those are on the books and we're taking registration um we've got one in new jersey one in michigan and one in wyoming and our course in New Jersey is the first one. It's going to happen in late April and the first weekend of May. And it's a little different. Um, we, it's an opportunity to come and work on a weekend and then go home and practice if you want and then come back to the course. So we've broken the course up. Um, it's two days to start and then uh, a break. and then uh, So a Saturday, Sunday, and then a break, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, and so that we'll see if that suits the people within, you know, that particular, that Northeast corridor, if you will, in the U S and then the others are more of our typical courses and they're five days long and, um, Lander, Wyoming is a beautiful location. And I'm sure your, your, um, uh, audience in North America, um, can appreciate, you know, being outside of Grand Teton National Park. It's just a really beautiful location. Um, and Michigan is Lansing, Michigan, and that helps to, which is also a lovely location. Um, and that serves kind of our upper Midwest folks. And our course in the UK 
and you might have uh, the greatest of your audience in the UK. Our course in the UK is, um, it's not yet finalized. So uh, it, it's going to happen. Um, we are um, just having to work out some of the details that um, we thought would be worked out by now. And, and, and they're just not. Okay. So, but we promise to have one in the UK. And, and we want to have courses, you know, my gosh, from here on out. So uh, if any of you guys are listening and you're interested in maybe perhaps helping to organize a course or host a course, uh, or you know you've got a bunch of trainers in your area, you can reach me through Joe, yeah. or you can reach me directly at, at uh, Ellen at Official Bat School. Send me an email or PM me on our Facebook page, um, Behavior Adjustment Training School, or Instagram, all that awesome social media stuff. And I'd be happy to to start dialogue with you to make that happen. And does OBATS have its own website? It does doesn't it? Does, do you want to say, it does. say what that is? It, yeah. Yeah, thank you. Official Bat School. Officialbatschool.com. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it's been absolutely super deep talking to you, Ellen, um, despite the fact we've been connected and disconnected several times and I'm going to have a bit of editing <laughs> to do, but um, it's been fantastic. So thank you very much um, for your time. And I hope it hasn't been too disruptive to be cut off like that mid-flow. Um. <laughs> oh, you are a you are a pro, and if anybody's you know still listening, um, it, it's been great. You know, my background was radio, and so it's been just really lovely to speak to somebody like you know. First of all, Joe's caliber as a trainer. I mean, hello, um, that speaks volumes. But yeah, Joe, just from a you know radio standpoint, it was it was Excellent. awesome. It was fun. Thank you for for the dialogue. Thank you for coming here and for giving um, up your time. I'm going to let you go now because I know sure. we've overrun a little okay. bit with. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's been super talking to you. <laughs> um, I'm going to put some links in the show notes as well to Obats. Um, cool. And I'll put your email just there as well in case anyone wants to get in touch about the training that you offer. Um, and yeah, thank you very, very much. Yeah. We'll keep the dialogue going. Thanks, Joe. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hold the line. So I hope that interview with Ellen was useful to some people listening. I'm going to put the links for OBATS um, in the show notes if anyone wants to get in touch with Ellen about the training that she offers. And hopefully more people will explore the connections between training for reactivity and training for over arousal generally, particularly in gun dogs. So that's all for this week, folks. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Please make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you can give me a five-star review and some comments, that would be super fantastic in terms of motivating me to keep recording podcast episodes for you all. So hope you have a great week and I'll talk to you again soon.